0: Socrates, the Greek philosopher, most of us know of him. One thing about Socrates is that he did not write any books. We know about Socrates mainly due to three Greek contemporary sources. Two of them were his pupils, Plato and Xenophon. The third was a comic playwright, Aristophanes. We know from those sources that Socrates was accused of corrupting the youth. Xenophon talked about the charges against him. He wrote that Socrates was accused of of a crime of refusing to recognize the gods of the state and bringing about strange ideas about divinities of his own. And they accused him of corrupting the youth in Athens of the day with his teachings. Further, they went on and he elaborated and he said that Socrates got in so much trouble because he mainly followed his own will instead of the will of the people. There was a council called the Boulé And it was their job of providing an agenda for the Ecclesia. And the Ecclesia was a citizen's assembly. They put Socrates on trial. And Socrates was convicted of corrupting the youth. And his sentence was death. And he died by drinking hemlock. Poison. Now, we know today who Socrates is. Schools use the Socratic method. I was trained under the Socratic method when I was in college on a speech and debate team. But here's the question. What monuments were built for his accusers? People who felt so strong in their opinion that they had killed a leading thinker of the day that would later go on to be a leading thinker throughout the centuries. Those people, where are they today? Who were his accusers? Do we have any teaching methods that were developed around their ideas? That at the time, in their own minds, they believed Were so true that they had one of the greatest thinkers throughout history executed for. Today I want to talk about and examine our accusers or the opinions of others. Yes they can hurt us and sometimes they could stop us but in the end my assertion is this, they don't matter. Revolutionary Generation. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an educator. I'm a man who is trying to do his best to make a contribution with his gifts. And along the way, I hope I can help and inspire you. Today, I wanna have a conversation with you. And this week, I wanna talk about leadership through the music of Public Enemy. And the song we're looking at this week is Revolutionary Generation. Revolutionary Generation was on the 1990 Public Enemy album Fear of a Black Planet, and when this album was released, Public Enemy, specifically Chuck D, was being accused of misogyny, and Chuck D wrote this song in a response to those accusations. This song was a song that was made that extolled the virtues of black womanhood. And Chuck D. was taking a stance in this song. One of the lyrics was, it takes a man to take a stand, understand it takes a woman to make a stronger man. And Chuck D. said in an interview with Billboard magazine about the song 20 years later, he said a lot of people were saying that we were misogynists and talked about women in a derogatory way. This record cleared up that. He said the revolutionary generation was saying the next generation will be the one of change where we uphold and respect our women and we go forward with her instead of being against her. And that's what he was going for. The accusers said one thing and he proved another in the arena. The song sampled Mary McLeod Bethune. I want to talk a little bit about Mary McLeod Bethune today. She was born in 1875, and she was the daughter of two former slaves. And she went on to become one of the most important African-American educators, civil rights and women's rights leaders, and a government official. She founded a college that set high standards for today's African-American college. And she served as an advisor to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And she was an advocate to all African-Americans when she served in his government. Now, she was born in July of 1875 near a small town, Maysville, South Carolina, and she was one of the last of her parents' 17 children. At the time, her mother was working for her former slave owner, and she was working so that she could buy the land that the family was working on to grow cotton. It was said that by the time that Mary McLeod Bethune was 9 years old, she can pick 250 barrels of cotton a day. At the time, also, was when people were going around educating former slaves. And Bethune benefited from that, that education process. She graduated in 1894 from a seminary. And then she went to Dwight Moody's Institute for Home and Foreign Missions in Chicago, Illinois. But there wasn't a church that would sponsor her as a missionary. So what did she do? Well, she became an educator. She started teaching in South Carolina, and she married another teacher named Albertus Bethune, and they had a child in 1891. They moved to Florida, and at the time, Mary worked at a Presbyterian church, and she also sold insurance. Her marriage ended in 1904, and she was determined to support her son. So she opened up her own boarding school. It was called the Daytona Beach Literary and Industrial School for Training Negro Girls. Eventually, her school became a college, and it merged merged with an all-black male Cookman Institute to to form the Bethune-Cookman College in 1929, and it issued its first degrees in 1943. We can see a common theme here in Bethune's life of a woman Creating opportunity for herself when other people weren't picking her. You see, a church would not sponsor her to be a missionary. So she just had to do the work on her own. There may have been, there were probably when she went through the process to get selected by a missionary society or a church sponsorship. There may have been applications that she had to fill out, there may have been interviews that she would have had to have, but she didn't get picked. And those opinions did not take away her ability. In fact, she continued to make opportunities for herself. Along the way, she founded many other organizations. She led voter registration drives for women, helping them gain the vote in 1920. And while she was doing that, she was attacked racially. 1924, she was elected president of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. And in 1935, she became the founding president of the National Council of Negro Women. She also became a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt. 1936, she became the highest ranking African American woman in government when Franklin Roosevelt named her director of Negro Affairs of the National Youth Administration, and she stayed there until 1944. 1937, she organized a conference on the problems of the Negro and the Negro youth and fought to end discrimination, discrimination, and lynching. 1990, she became Vice President of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, a position she held the rest of her life. 1942, she created the Women's Army Corps, and she ensured it was racially integrated. She was appointed by Harry Truman, who was now President, and she was the only woman of color at the founding conference of the United Nations. In 1945. She also wrote for the leading African American newspapers of the time, the Pittsburgh Courier and the Chicago Defender. She was also a businesswoman who co owned a Daytona, Florida resort and co founded the Central Life Insurance Company of Tampa. She received many awards and she was given a memorial statue in Washington, D.C. in 1974. 1985, she was put on a postage stamp. And her final resting point is considered her grave is a national historic site. Now, this was a woman who was born of former slaves. A woman who, when she went to college, wasn't picked by a church to sponsor her to be a missionary. Imagine that. Somebody with immense talent, tremendous amount of talent and ability and skills, was not picked. In the song, it says, The next generation, it's what, not who we are facing, the fingers pointed to us in our direction. The blind state of mind needs correction, word to the mother we tighten connection, To be a man, you need no election. This generation generates a new attitude. Sister to you, we should not be rude. Opinions, opinions of other people about you or your performance mean nothing. For example, look back at Mary McLeod Bethune. Racist attacks. Wasn't picked for the missionary society. But yet, she still Ended up on a postage stamp. She still has a statue in Washington, D.C., named after her. You see, if someone criticizes your thinking or your decisions, you don't lose the ability to perform your talent or use your gifts. You see, Mary McLeod Bethune kept going, and she kept improving, and she kept building a resort, a college, an insurance company. These are things that we can look at that exist in the world. You know what? There isn't a cause and effect relationship between someone's opinion of you and your ability. All it takes is someone talking. That's all an opinion is, is someone talking, not someone creating, not someone building. It's just someone talking. Guess what we can do? Turn off that voice. And then turn up the sound of your own voice, talking about improving your craft, getting better at what you do, putting new things into the world. You know, as a leader, you need to be building the people up that you serve, specifically not with buzzwords, not with hype. I hear words like, hold people accountable. And then they give you a spreadsheet to check off. A spreadsheet is a consequence, a punishment. It's not accountability. If you have a person who is low performing, sit down, work with them, show them an example. That is, of course, if you can do it yourself. If you're a leader who calls people to do something, you should be able to do it yourself. And if you can't, you don't need to be a leader. Lead by example, not by statements, not by opinions. Opinions don't unclog toilets. Opinions don't build mansions. Opinions don't make great works of art. So, weigh the opinions of others and then use them if they are helpful. Dismiss them if they are not. Talk with people who are in the arena. Or who have been in the arena. The wisdom of elders who have gone before us. Who have put things into the world. And have something that we can look at. Like a college. Like an insurance company. Like a resort. Like the Socratic method that is still being taught today. And for ourselves, it means this. Go out and contribute today. Put something into the world today. Take your dream and leap. And when you land, start swimming. I am Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. And I hope today that I can inspire you to take something that you want and put it out into the world. I have been podcasting for a year now, and I feel proud that I have real estate, that I'm putting stuff out there, that I'm in the arena, that I'm not hiding my talents, but I'm using my talents each and every day to the best of my ability. And I hope that wherever you are, that you're listening, that you will go out, reach down inside of you, listen to your dreams, listen to your voice, use your talents, use your abilities, ignore the opinions of others. They don't mean anything at all. Feel free to tell someone to shut up and go pursue your passion. We all need to put something great in the world. We all are put here to put something great into the world have a little something that you put into the world each and every day. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience.